Well, good evening, everyone. I'm glad you came back, and I'm glad I have the privilege of being back with you tonight. I invite you to open your Bible to Joshua chapter 5, and then hold your place there, and then also uh, find chapter 1 of Joshua, and we'll be looking at uh, our primary text is Joshua 5, 13 through 15, but we're going to reach back in a moment and pick up a few verses from chapter 1. This morning we looked at the life of Moses. We're talking about living life, a life of purpose, and the key to living a life of purpose we found in Moses was obedience to God. God's uh, purpose for Moses was that he would be the deliverer, the emancipator of the Hebrew people who were in bondage in Egypt. That was God's purpose for Moses. And before Moses could be useful and carrying out his God-given purpose, he had to come to a place of understanding that he had to obey uh, God. And we come now to Joshua. And tonight as we look at Joshua, Joshua picks up where Moses left off. Uh, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Joshua now has the purpose under God, the God-ordained, God-given purpose for his life was to get the children of God, the Hebrew people, into the promised land. And tonight we're going to kind of unpack some, some of the truths around Joshua's life that enabled him to fulfill his purpose of leading the people of God into uh, the promised land. Let's look at verse 13 of chapter 5 and just read uh, what's taking place here. It's one of those fascinating passages of Scripture in the Bible. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man... A man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And when the commander of the Lord's army said, Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of God. Joshua, this wonderful military strategist, this wonderful pastor of God's people, leading God's people into the promised land. He had a mission. He had a purpose, just like you and I have a mission and a purpose in life. What was his purpose? His purpose was to move people onto God's agenda. Over the last few years, I have had the privilege to get to know Henry Blackaby and his son, uh, Richard Blackaby. Richard and I have preached together two or three times over the years. Together, we've preached in conferences, and I've come to love him. In my previous church, we had Richard to come and minister there and hope to have him to our association sometime. He's a remarkable, remarkable Bible teacher. But a few years ago, his father and he wrote a book entitled Spiritual Leadership. It's been around a long time, but it's still one of my favorite and most meaningful books on the subject of spiritual leadership. In that book, the Blackabees define spiritual leadership. What is spiritual leadership? 
Spiritual leadership, they say, is moving other people onto God's agenda. Moving people onto God's agenda. If we are spiritual leaders, then we have the, the, the mandate from God. If we are pastors, teachers, if we are leaders in our church, and if I could just say this to bring down, uh, to put us all uh, on the same team, because it doesn't matter the position we hold, the title we hold as Christians, we have an obligation unto God to influence other people onto God's agenda. Now, Joshua here and this, uh, the opening chapters of this book of Joshua is in the process of leading God's people onto God's agenda, which was, by the way, to get into the Holy Land. And, uh, but Joshua faced some problems. He faced some problems. And by the way, if you, if you like to see the kind of the tracks I'll run on tonight, we're going to see the problems Joshua faced, the person he encountered, and the plan he received. All of that comes out of this this passage of scripture. First of all, we want to talk about the problems that Joshua faced. I've already said to you that his mission was to move people. His mission was to influence people. His mission was to lead people. His mission was to minister to people. And the first problem that Joshua faced was people, dealing with people. If you'll look at chapter 1, and I want us to look at this because it's, uh, it's integral to everything else we'll say tonight. We'll just pick up in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. This is Joshua chapter 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. And now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, all this people. Now, Joshua is being given his purpose, his mandate, God's will for his life, God's purpose for his life. You and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So we're introduced to this uh, truth in chapter 1 of Joshua that Joshua's primary uh, purpose is to deal with people, to lead people, to minister to people. Then in verse 3, this is something that we need to underline or mark. If you mark in your Bible, underscore this. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given you as I said to Moses. So Joshua knows where he's going. He knows what's ahead. He knows what's been promised. He knows what is there uh, in the will and purpose of God. But God knows this is going to be a challenge. And three times in chapter 1, he says, be strong. Verse 6, he says, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and of good courage. I want to remind you that we're talking about Joshua leading people, dealing with people, ministering to people. And God says, one time, be strong and of good courage. Then he says again in verse 7, Be strong and of good courage that you may observe to do according to, do according to all the law uh, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Then in verse 9, he says again, Have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why this abundant outpouring of encouragement to Joshua to be courageous? Be strong and be courageous. 
Because God has given him an assignment of moving a Hebrew race out of the wilderness into the promised land. He's going to be dealing with people. Now, what I'm about to say, I say facetiously, and I'm sure the pastor said it tongue-in-cheek, but I heard a pastor say one time, you know, ministry would be a very enjoyable vocation if it wasn't for people. Well, that was tongue-in-cheek. But you know, there's some element of truth in that, isn't there? The challenge of dealing with people. Can you imagine what Moses dealt with? Two and a half million people coming out of Egypt, into the wilderness. Couldn't satisfy anybody. And Joshua now has picked up the helm. And here we go, the people. The people. Joshua was and is known as a military strategist. He had a brilliant mind for that. But he was preeminently a pastor He cared for people. He loved people. He had compassion for people. It wasn't just the mandate of God on Joshua's life to get these folks into the promised land. It was truly a burden upon his heart to do so. He wanted to. He longed to. We'll see that come more to light in just a moment. If you uh, would follow me through a few transitions here, I want to turn to a wonderful passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians want to read something to you that I hope we don't uh, overlook in reading this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to borrow the words of the Apostle Paul talking along these lines about people and ministering to people. We're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to begin actually verse 23. Don't read 28 yet. You'll you'll steal my thunder if you read ahead. I said that, but let's look at verse 23. Are, Are you there? 2 Corinthians 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons, more frequently in deaths often. Now, Paul is talking about himself. Listen to this litany. Paul is talking about ministries, talking about serving people, leading people, caring for people. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods and once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Wow, do you see that? Do you, do you, do you, are you beginning to feel the emotion and the tension and the burden and the pain in Paul, as he talks about these physical infirmities, these near-death experiences. Now that's, having, having, having put our minds around verse 23 through verse 27, and allowing that picture to develop in our minds, verse 28 ought to blow our minds. Because right here in verse 28, Paul says, now I've already told you about the physical problems, the hunger and the thirst, and on and on. We've read those verses. But he says, besides the other things, besides all of that, in addition to all of that, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. 
Paul is saying, beat me, beat me five times, 39 lashes each. Starve me to death, thirst me to death, reject me, mock me, ridicule me, put me in the middle of the sea on a sinking ship. Do all of these things to me. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the thing that is burdening my heart most is my care and my concern for the churches. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that we need a revival of such passion today. Among ministers, among men of God, among lay people alike. This is the Apostle Paul. A similar word is found in Colossians 1.28 when he says, Him we preach. 128 in Colossians says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, that is to say mature in Christ to this end. Paul says, I labor, I labor, I labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. God, Joshua had a God-given mission and his mission was to move the children of God, out of the wilderness, into the promised land. This is his God-given agenda. And this mission ought to burden us. We ought to understand that our role is the same as people of God. We are to get people of God onto God's agenda. People are not our problem, ladies and gentlemen. People are not our problem. They are our purpose. They are our purpose. I remind those who come in and out of the associational office, and especially those who have any official working connection there from time to time, I'm reminding myself as well, I'm reminding all of us that we're servants of the people of Calhoun Baptist churches. And I tell you, some of of these Calhoun Baptists can get on your nerves in a flash. And uh, I mean, just... You know, you wonder where in the world some of these things are coming from. And I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, and I'm not telling you anything you haven't experienced. But at the end of the day, whether we have frustration or whether we have uh, plans that are disrupted or whether we are not seeing eye to eye on things or sometimes maybe not going in the same direction, at the end of the day, we're on the same team and we have the same purpose, and that is to reach the people in this county and beyond for Christ. People are not our problem. They are our mission. Amen? Well, it's here. This is what brought Joshua to this place at this wall. And now we see the battle that he faces. The people that were the problem, but now the battle that he faces Steve Williams and I were talking just a few moments ago about Joshua and he expressed some anticipation of hearing some things about Joshua tonight. But when Joshua, we find Joshua back in chapter 5 of of Joshua, uh, the way that verse reads uh, would indicate that Joshua is at the wall, the, the exterior wall of Jericho and kneeling, verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes... And I would just, I would, I would just read into that that, that we are brought to, to a, a place now that we're seeing this great man of God, Joshua. He, he has all of these people behind him who, uh, who are his responsibility. He has the burden for them. He has the mission to move them forward. And he's already begun that mission. They've already crossed the Jordan. They're already moving. They're already advancing. But now he's beginning to realize some things. Joshua here at this wall. I, let me use what Warren Wearsby calls um, a sanctified imagination. 
I think Joshua has probably come to a place of contemplation in his life. I, I, think, I think he's having flashbacks to when he was a 20-year-old man and on that reconnaissance team that Moses sent into this land to bring back a report. What is there? 40 years later now. This, this Joshua that we're looking at tonight is 60 years old, but he was 20 years old when he went in with the spies. And he came back. And all of them said the same along these lines. Yes, yes, it is this kind of land. Yes, it is a land with uh, fortified cities. And, and yes, it is a land occupied by, by warrior giants. And yes, it is a land that, that will pose some challenge and difficulty. Ten of the men voted no, we cannot occupy. Joshua and Caleb voted yes, we ought to go forward. But you know the majority rule in that case. And the children of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now here's Joshua. Joshua, uh, these 40 years later, standing on the threshold of this great land, not as a 20-year-old with all of his dreams and hopes and ambitions, but as a 60-year-old who remembers very well. He has already seen Jericho at one point. He has already seen the warrior giants at another time. And now he's kneeling by this wall. And he, he is well aware that Jericho in that time in history was noted to be an impenetrable city. It was noted to be an impenetrable fortress. No one can break the barrier of this fortress. No one can conquer Jericho. And here he is. He is kneeling down at that wall, and he's seeking the face of God regarding the battles that he's going to fight. I I think there's a truth here that you and I need to learn. And I'm talking to a mature audience tonight. I'm talking to people who know your Bible and you know the Christian life. But this is what I say in other places as well. Do not be discouraged by the fact that we continue to face battle. I'll be 66 years old tomorrow. And um, I'm, I've, reached a, I've reached a stage in my life that uh, a long time ago, in fact, that I stopped thinking that the Christian life was going to get easier. Did you ever go through that in your own experience? You thought, well, the older I get, surely the easier this, is, this Christian life thing's going to become. It's been right the opposite for me. Because I think the more we walk with Jesus and love Jesus and serve Jesus, and especially as age begins to creep in on us and we have other vulnerabilities, the enemy tries to really thwart our efforts. But let me tell you, the giants don't go away. The fortified cities don't go away. The fortresses don't go away. The walls don't go away. The barriers don't go away. The giants don't go away. The battles don't go away. They don't go away until that day when we step to the other side and the presence of our Savior. And Joshua knew that. So here he is. He said, okay, God, I've got the people on this hand. And you know them. You know them. They're hard to please. You, and I've got these walled cities and these giants and these battling warrior giants on the other hand. What am I to do? And he's at the right place. He has come to the right place. And here he is all alone, all alone, kneeling just outside the wall of Jericho. And he's contemplating the things that God has said is his purpose for Joshua's life. How shall I fulfill God's purpose? Have you ever asked yourself that question for your own life? How shall I fulfill God's purpose? Where does my strength come from? Where does my wisdom come from? Where does the ability to do 
You see, God's purpose requires a supernatural enabling. There's not anything that God requires of you that you can do in the flesh. You cannot do it. Now, you may mimic it, but you can't do it. You may counterfeit it, but you can't do it. You can't live the Christian life without divine enabling. It takes Jesus to make a Christian, not good deeds, not hard work, not doing anything else. It takes Jesus to be a Christian. It takes Jesus living in us and working in us and through us. So here we find Joshua coming to the second part of this message. As we've looked at the problems, and now we're looking at the person that he encountered. And suddenly Joshua is brought to a place that he has to change his focus. He's kneeling down outside the wall of Jericho, focusing on his problems. People and, and cities. People and giants. That's what he's thinking about. He's trying to think as a military strategist, how do we move forward? As a pastoral leader, how do we move forward? But suddenly, suddenly, he is captured by the presence of another person. And suddenly, his mind and his eyes and his focus and his heart shift from his problems to a person. And that's exactly what needs to happen to you and me. Because this person, this person who is standing near with his sword drawn, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this is a theophany, and there's good evidence for that fact, that this is an Old Testament uh, pre-incarnate visit of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Joshua of the Old Testament is meeting the Joshua of the New Testament. And what happens here is that Joshua is startled, he didn't know what to think. He looks up, and that's why I think it's important, to, uh, as, as I understand that opening verse, that verse 13, that he, he lifted his eyes. That would indicate that he was already praying, and he lifted his eyes, and he saw this man who stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went on to say to him, are you for us or against us? <laughs> you know, that, that indicates to me that Joshua was just rattled. I mean, you, have you ever been in a situation where you were kind of shaken and, the, and what you heard come out of your mouth was about the stupidest thing you could say? I mean, he said, <laughs> here, here he's seeing, I know he's in awe of what he's seeing, but he's saying, are you for us or against us? Let me tell you what I think uh, this uh, captain of his salvation, the Lord Jesus said, I'm, I'm not for you. I didn't come to be for you or against you. I came to take over. And he did come to take over. You see, he doesn't, God doesn't choose sides. Lord Jesus doesn't choose sides. He comes and just takes, takes over. This is the divine captain of Joshua. And uh, Joshua immediately submits. He immediately submits. Uh, you see the verses, we've read them, we've gone over them a couple of times, and Joshua went and said to him, are you for us or against us? And he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. The immediate response was our topic for tonight, submission, submission, submission. You've got to remember Joshua was at this wall. He was there contemplating, pondering, praying, planning, seeking wisdom from God, how to advance, how to move the people forward, how to occupy this land to which God had, uh, that God had given to them. And, and the Lord himself just shows up and Joshua is on his face. He is submitting. 
Joshua had felt that he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. I must now come up with a plan to get us in, a strategy to get us in, the strength of an army to get us in, because we're facing an uphill climb here. But all of a sudden, he's kneeling at the feet of the one who is in charge of the battle, in charge of the barriers, in charge of the people, in charge of the problems. Suddenly everything's been shifted out of Joshua's hands into the hands of the one who is fully able and capable to do whatever needs to be done in every situation and every person. And that's exactly what you and I ought to do tonight. We ought to give to him that which he alone can do and stop trying to figure out how to do it ourselves. And um, Joshua was kind I mean, he, his, his reverence is here. He said, what does my Lord say to his servant? This is a good question. But it has an unusual answer. And the commander said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the ground on which you now stand is holy. Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. Now, Joshua asked a legitimate question, especially from the mind of a military strategist. And I could imagine he might have been thinking the answer would be something like this, as this uh, captain of his salvation response when he says, what, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do? And, and I think Joshua might have anticipated something like this, the commander saying, well, you need to get your sword sharp and ready for battle. You need to bring your battering rams to the front you need to begin to organize your army no he said take off your shoes now I'm glad I did this study I'm glad I had to walk through this before I'm bringing it to you to walk through this because quite honestly I was a little puzzled by that what is the significance of the Lord saying to Joshua Joshua having asked a very legitimate question I've been kneeling at this wall for who knows how long, seeking your face, seeking your guidance, your wisdom. How do we advance? How do we move forward? And the Lord shows up and says, take your shoes off. By the way, that's not the first strange thing that's said in this story. It's not the only one, I should say. I want you to hear the words of George Duncan. George Duncan was an old British preacher uh, in heaven now, been there for a while, uh, pastored the uh, St. George's Tron Church of Scotland in the heart of Glasgow, Scotland. One of my favorite preachers of bygone years. George Duncan said, I suggest to you that before ever God uses a man, God proves a man. And the test is always in the area of obedience. Sometimes the test can be somewhat something sometimes the test can be something utterly trivial. God comes into your life and says, I want you to do this or I want you to do that, and the thing seems so utterly trivial. Like take your shoes off. Utterly trivial trivial. But the issue, Duncan says, is absolutely vital. The thing is ridiculous, and you might be tempted to say, well, that doesn't really matter. Surely this has nothing to do with my service and my Christian life. It may seem irrelevant to you, but it is not irrelevant to God. God is testing our obedience. God is testing 
our obedience. So Joshua took his shoes off and he stood there on holy ground. Could I say something to us tonight? If God can't trust you with shoes, how's he going to trust you with cities? Take your shoes off. If he can't trust you with little things, how can he trust you with big things? I did it. I think we all do it. I look from my perspective and my position now, see younger pastors doing this all the time, wanting to bypass the little things. Oh, it's so bad now. I thought it was bad in 1970 when I was starting out, but it's even worse now. Everybody wants to fly by the first ten rungs of the ladder and land on the top as soon as possible. They want the big place, the big name, the, the spotlight. They want the power and the position, the influence. I'm talking to an audience that understands this. I'm preaching to the choir and I know that. But folks, it's the little things in life that make us who we are. It's dealing with... Are we willing to take our shoes off? Are we willing to do the little thing? Are we willing to obey God in the thing that seems so ridiculous? And I'm going to tell you, if you manage to get to the top without going through those steps, I don't think you're going to stay on the top very long. Because it's obeying God in the little things that equips you for the bigger things. If you could be alone with the Savior just for a few moments tonight, what do you, and you could ask him the question, as Joshua asked the commander this question, what do you want me to do? What can I do for you? What would you say to the master? What would you offer him? What are the things that he may be asking of you? The American church is busy in service for God, extremely busy. But much of the service is unproductive and ineffective. It's just motion, action, and noise. And we've convinced ourselves the louder and the busier we are, the more productive we are. And we're so busy that we have not even taken time to ask God if what we're doing in our busyness is on his agenda. And I want to submit to you that many times it's not even close to being on his agenda. I had a study room in the last church I pastored. I uh, actually was given the church library room because they were relocating. I didn't run them out. I didn't expel them. They were already moving to a new location in the building when I went there. And because of the size of my library, I needed room. And they said, just take this room. It turned out to be a great room for study. I was surrounded by books. And then I found that I wasn't having a lot of time to spend with my books. And if you, and I know Brother John's this way. Most pastors, or used to be anyway, love their books and love to study and love to dig. One day I was in my room working on a series of sermons and and uh, I was kind of, uh, I've learned to kind of grab the, the, the time when the time is there because it doesn't always, you know, you can't just go in and say, well, I've got six or eight hours today, I can just study. No, it doesn't typically work that way because people don't, uh, 
people don't schedule necessarily when they're going to have to have surgery or be sick or when an emergency or just general pastoral stuff. So you learn to kind of grab those times. And it was one of those times, and, I'm, and I pulled several books off the shelf. I was doing some research, and I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I started, I started saying to myself as I had those books in my hands, pure gold, pure gold, gold, gold. Oh, I wish I had time to sit in this room and just mine the gold, mine the gold, dig into the gold. And I started feeling sorry for myself. I went over and sat down at my desk, and and I was thinking, I was looking at my books, and I was thinking, Lord, I wish I had time to really utilize these books. There's gold, there's gold in these books. <laughs> and I started complaining. I said, Lord, I'm so busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm busy. And I began to list in my mind my complaints that were interrupting my time in this instance for study. And when I finished my list, I heard the Lord's voice as clear as you're hearing my voice right now. And he took my list and he spoke to me. I didn't ask you to do that. And I didn't ask you to do that. And I didn't ask you to do that. He went down my entire list and basically said, I haven't asked you to do any of this stuff. Whatever you're doing, buddy, it's because you want to do it or think you've got to do it or somebody else wants you to do it. I have not commissioned you to do a single solitary thing you're complaining about. It was a sobering moment for me. I think if you would be honest with yourself right now that some of you are up to your ears and alligators, and I'm talking about just trying to do right, live right, be right, serve God, be a good Christian, be a good churchman, a good churchwoman, serve God, and you're about to run the wheels off your life because somebody else is asking you to do something God never had anything to do with. I'm convinced that when we find our stride, when we find the will of God and the purpose of God, and we do what God said, says to do, and by the way, that's the only thing that we're really obligated to do, isn't it? I know people have expectations, but I know somebody else that has an expectation. Some of you remember Jerry Vines, who pastored Dolphin Way Church in Mobile for a number of years, came out of Rome, Georgia, went to Jacksonville, Florida, First Baptist Church, probably one of the best expositors in the Southern Baptist Convention in his day and time. Everybody wanted to hear Jerry Vines preach. He was a wonderful, masterful, expository preacher. I remember... um, hearing this story about when he was in our state serving the great Dolphin Way Baptist Church before it relocated. And somebody, one of uh, Dr. Vine's friends, called him mid-morning. He blocked morning hours for study and prayer. And somebody called and was uh, the, the operator sent them on through to the pastor's secretary, the administrative assistant, and, and said she, he said to her, I would like to speak to Jerry, please. And uh, she said, I'm sorry, uh, he's not available. And, and uh, because he was a friend, he said, well, is he in? Is he in? Yes, yes, he's in. And uh, uh, she said, but he's not available. And he said, I need to talk to him. I want to talk to him. It won't take long, but I need, I need to talk to my friend. And she said, he's not available. And this man said to the administrative assistant, said, do you, he said, ma'am, do you know who you're talking to? And she said, no, sir, I don't. Do you know who Dr. Vines is talking to? 
That kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Who gets the priority in our lives? Now, here, here we go. We've got to end this message and land the sermon for tonight. And I know some of you have got the end of the runway for landing in view. So let's go. The plan of action that Joshua received. We find this in chapter 6 and verse 2. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. And none went out and none uh, came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now, God has a plan for victory. God has a plan for victory. We may not always understand it. We may not always know it, but God has a plan. E. Stanley Jones uh, reminds us that the early church knew God had a plan. They did not wring their hands in despair. Listen to what he said. They did not say, see what, what the world is coming to. They said, see what is coming to the world. I think that's a good turnaround. He also said the whole secret of the abundant life can be summed up in one sentence. Not your responsibility, but your response to his ability. That's the secret. God had, God had included in this plan for Joshua a victory. Joshua is, Joshua is not fighting for victory. He's fighting from victory. He understood that when he went to Jericho and uh, went, went, of course, he had to get past Jericho to get in further inland into this country that he was going to occupy. He had to get past Jericho. But it was already determined in the mind and the will of God that victory was won. And if I could say to us tonight that our victory, our victory for our Christian life has already been determined. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. We're not fighting for a victory. We stand from the perspective, from the vantage point of victory. Our master's already made that way for us. This was a promise. This was an assurance that Joshua had. Do what I say to do and the victory will be the outcome of your obedience to me. Do it. And then the strategy was given for that victory. And I can tell you it was a strange one. He said, I just want you to get some priests and get some ram's horns. And I want you to walk around the city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. And when I say blow the ram's horn, blow them as hard as you can and shout as loud as you can shout. And I can imagine, I can imagine now Joshua is a military man. He's got military people who are ready to go against this city and they're walking. Can you imagine? Let me just do this for us and I'll end with this. I'm going to put it in a Christian context, your experience and mine, uh, how we talk about uh, and kind of fuss and argue with God. I can just see these folks walking around the city on the first day. And they're talking. I mean, they're just talking. They're just walking and talking, walking and talking. Joshua said we need to walk around the whole perimeter uh, on the first day. And we're going to do this again tomorrow. And they're looking and they're thinking, what on earth is this all about? Why don't we get on with that? All kinds of fussing. Now, you can use your own imagination. I don't have time to use mine. So we're just, they're just walking. Second day, they do the same thing. They're just, you know, and they're kind of, kind of fussing about, what, why are we wasting our time walking around the city? About the third or fourth day, they start looking up and looking around. The, 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 the wall of the city was so wide that you could run several chariots side by side in a race on the, on the, the, the top of that wall around. That's a pretty thick wall, wouldn't you agree? And, I, I'm, and I, about halfway through this journey, I'm seeing or hearing these people stop their grumbling and saying, let's get on with it, to saying something like, you know, this is a bigger job than I thought. 
This is a thicker wall than I thought. This is an impenetrable fortress. By the sixth day, they were probably thinking, we can't do this. That's exactly where God wanted them to be. Because on the seventh day, just like Joshua taken off his shoes, the children of Israel obeyed God, the priests blew the ram's horn, the throng of people shouted as loud as they could shout, and we know the song, don't we? The walls came tumbling down. I tell you folks, when we follow God's plan, God's strategy for his purpose in our lives, guess what? The outcome is victory. Every time. Every time. Well, I hope that's helped someone, encouraged someone tonight. Uh, It's a great story. And it's a true story. And it contains truths that will encourage us for today and tomorrow and the days ahead. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we ask you please to to speak to our hearts in these closing moments of this worship hour and bring to you in an act of obedience any and all who should come. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a pastor on Sunday nights, I would... I'm talking, we're talking to the cream of the crop, as it were, on a Sunday evening like this, and I understand that. But I'm going to ask you to um, just right where you're standing to ponder whatever God may have said to you personally. And uh, He said some things to me along the way that I need to consider and I need to respond to. But this is a wonderful hymn that we can sing softly, tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Let's sing that together, at least a verse of it, and just let it be a time of meditation. And then David will bring us to a close.